All right, well, it's good to be with you here this morning uh, where we get to look at God's word together, where we will be looking at Isaiah chapter 30. And so if you have a Bible that you wanna turn to that into, if you don't, there's some here in the Pew Rack in the West Auditorium, and there's also some available in the East Auditorium, and hopefully you have something at home that you can follow along, but we always have like the cheat sheet here anyway. So, uh, But we'll be working our way through a lot of Isaiah 30, so it might be good to have that uh, up in front of you as we walk through that passage together. And as you turn there, just uh, if, you, if you're newer with us, just a little bit uh, about me. I'll make a long story medium length. Uh, we, uh, I grew up not going to church, but came to faith through a student ministry as a high school kid, and pretty quickly there wanted to become what these youth leaders were to me in other students' lives. So shout out to all our first kids and student life volunteers who pour into kids that, you know, get results where they you know, follow Jesus and, and maybe even preach one day. And so uh, moving into uh, college, I went to school to uh, study youth ministry and uh, met Jessica, my wife. Uh, we, the wife thing came later, we didn't like start that way. Uh, but as we were dating and engaged, we actually uh, were hired uh, together at a little country church there alongside school in Northeast Tennessee, a little school called Milligan College. And throughout that time, we were able to uh, have, you could say, relative success. We had 15 of our close friends, which were all like ministry majors at the school, so we kind of all-star lineup of volunteers and things went well, the, the group grew, all the things you, you, you wanna see. And then after we graduated, did the, uh, the kind of the embarking of, okay, God, where do you have us uh, to go and to plant roots for where we're going to live and do ministry, uh, which led us here, First Christian Church here in Decatur in uh, 2004. And so July 6th of 2004, we uh, pulled a U-Haul into uh, a little house that was just on the south side of the parking lot. That's parking lot now. The house is no longer there. And for the first two and a half years going into it, I thought, you know, hey, I've got this, you know, I've got some experience, we've done well, and you could say I was, I'm gonna put it in air quotes, confident in my abilities to do whatever it is that I was supposed to do here. But the reality was that confidence uh, found its source in, if you've been with us, uh, some sore spots and some heart shapers that really were rooted in insecurity uh, that resulted in the sin of pride, of like, okay, I've got this. And so God and his work through me, that two and a half years from the day I showed up, it didn't go well. Uh, at least inside of me. In spite of me, God still did some good things. Thanks be to God for his work and our weakness uh, in our student ministry and, and all that. And most people probably wouldn't even have known that for two and a half years, I struggled with depression, with uh, like wanting to quit ministry altogether. Uh, the problem was that there just weren't a whole lot of people, a lot of organizations hunting down 20-somethings with youth ministry degrees. Uh, I, can, I can put on a mean crowd game if you need me in your... You know, it's just not a lot of opportunity. And so, as thanks be to God, some good people and, uh, and his goodness to me in that saw me through that two and a half years. That two and a half years, it culminated. Uh, and I, I've got a date, and I've got literally the square foot of space on the planet where I first encountered the material, the experience, the journey that we've been walking through over the last several weeks. Uh, as part of my master's program, there is a course that we take called Shaping the Heart of a Leader. Uh, with this idea that we go to school and we shape our minds uh, you know, for a lot of the time, but when it comes to the ministry, it might be a good idea to shape the heart of uh, that person as well. And so that experience brought us out to uh, 15 students. We were at a little uh, 
counseling center, a ranch called Blessing Ranch in Livermore, Colorado, about an hour north of Denver, where I first got to spend this time with uh, Dr. John Walker, the creator of this content, and it changed my life. And I'm sharing this with you, not because my life was changed 15 years ago, but because 15 years later, it's still how I'm operating. And so I'm excited that as we wrap up this series, that I can uh, really conclude some of the impact I had on that day, January 7th, 2007, uh, in this passage of scripture, Isaiah 30. What happened on that day is I witnessed in my own being and sense that this little T truth that I had been living out of this, what I uh, affectionately refer to as my small C confidence, I guess the C would go this way, facing you, uh, a small C confidence that God had a big T truth for me, a, a, a capital C confidence in a capital C calling that he had placed on my life for pastoral ministry. And so what I did, we had a couple hours that day to be on our own, and someone had, and they'd referenced in the material, Isaiah chapter 30, earlier that day, and so I took the afternoon and just for a couple of hours just read that over and over and over and over again and marked up my Bible, and I wanna share with you some of the lessons I had out of that uh, as we wrap up, uh, you could say, our, our journey here into this um, this alignment of our heart, above all else, guarding our hearts, not just in a series, but for all the days of our life. And so, Isaiah chapter 30, uh, this is uh, the word of the Lord that impacted me, that I trust will as you as well. Uh, what's happening here before I read it is the, the prophet Isaiah, here's the context, here's what he's writing about. Uh, the nation of Israel, he's writing to Israel in a time that was a very difficult season for them. They were getting ready to, they, could, they were anticipating and expecting uh, invasion and takeover from the people of Assyria, who in the midst of this difficult and scary season made, you could say, an unfortunate choice. They chose to put their trust and security, the people of Israel, God's people, to put their trust in spaces and places other than the Lord their God. And in this case, it was the, the nation of Egypt that was gonna be their idol, that they're gonna put their trust in rather than God uh, to look to for protection from the Assyrian invasion. And so what we're gonna discover is that God, through the prophet Isaiah, is calling them out on their sin, where they have missed the mark on rejecting God's direction as well as his protection, all right? And so this is how this bad day for Israel shakes out. Isaiah says it this way, uh, starting in verse one. He says, woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. To those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, and thus heaping sin upon sin. Who go down to Egypt without consulting me. Who look to help for Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection, it will be your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. So God, you see it, he is calling them out for putting their trust, their security in Egypt rather than God, thus rejecting his protection. And then God talking about his own people, verse nine. For these are a rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to their fathers, the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Just Tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions. Just leave this way, get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Essentially, God is calling them out as a father that they're acting like children. And so translation, when he's trying to give them his big T truth, they are saying, translated to children, la 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 la, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. And so that's what Israel is saying, rejecting 
God's very direction. And so they've made up their minds. Reject his direction, reject his protection, verse 12. And so therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. By your choosing, because you have rejected this message and instead relied on oppression and depended on deceit, this sin, it will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces, not even a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. Essentially, God is saying, your sin is gonna crumble you to the degree at which you will not be able to put yourself back together. And the sad thing is it didn't have to be this way. See verse 15, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, that in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. So needless to say, if this is the state of Israel, this is a bad day. This is a bad day. This is not what you want to be doing or thus hearing as a result of what you're doing from the Lord your God. And in fairness, we get bad days. We know what, it, you know, Jesus said, in this world you have trouble. We know what it means to have trouble. You know, throughout this experience, we've looked at negative things that have shaped our lives, uh, bad days, ugly days of broken relationships and toxic environments and the health diagnoses and the losses that we've experienced. Bad days, ugly days, troubles of this world. Uh, but the aha, you could say, of this experience that I experienced 15 years ago that actually it didn't make it into the current content. Like if you've been following the book, it's not in the book, but it's something that Dr. John Walker shared that has just stuck with me um, for all these years and will continue to do so, and that's simply this understanding. He said that the possibilities that we have are powerful in good days that are disguised as bad days that we have a powerful possibility in days that look like bad days, but actually underneath that, uh, they're, and they're legitimate bad days, we're not suggesting they're not bad days, but they are our opportunity and possibility that God wants to do to work things out for your good, for those who follow him, it says in Romans, to be able to make good out of the bad. You see, that's what we've been learning throughout this experience, that we've had life shapers that are absolutely bad days. We're not trying to take anything away from that, uh, that lead to sore spots, which ha have us you know, operating out of this faulty logic where we're not thinking straight. It can lead to things like you know, self-sabotage, and then that's just like a double bad day because you did something bad, and then you're beating yourself up for doing bad things, and it's like because you're not thinking straight, and you're living out of these little T-truths, which lead to these, on repeat, these undesired outcomes, which can, on rerun, turn into a series of bad days, bad weeks, bad years, and if left unchecked, literally decades of just one long bad day. And so the goal has been to transcend this bad day with the goodness that God wants to bring in a God-edited reality, that he wants to bring desired outcomes to us. And so that's what we're gonna, we're gonna land on. We're gonna say, what does it look like that at the end of this process to have our heart aligned with God and to live in the desired outcomes that he has for us when we live in a God-edited, aligned heart with him? These good days disguised as bad days because there's a lot of good that can happen. And 
one of the things that I just want to encourage us as we, as we really wrap up this series is that we don't get to like check the box on this and then move on. Uh, this is stuff that we'll have to come back to time and time again. You need to stick with it. And so as we do that, I just want to do a quick sidebar of three things to look out for as you journey forward beyond this series. Uh, things that I've run into, things that you will run into, uh, and, and in the sense that even this upcoming week, as you think about your, the challenges you may face, because You've spent a number of weeks, you know, you could say unhindering your heart, unhooking yourself from all kinds of sore spots and stuff like that, but recognize that what you've unhindered over just a few weeks, maybe years or even decades, has hindered, has hooked and dragged you around in your life. And so recognize that there is gonna be discomfort. There's gonna be discomfort in this process, but. Know this, that you want to press through the discomfort of this new normal. Dr. Charity Byers, who um, is the co-author of this content, she says it this way. She says, this new normal for your heart, it feels like a new book that you've never read. The binding feels stiff, and you don't know how it's going to end. And so expect discomfort. This is all new. With that, the irony of it, also watch out for comfort. Watch out for getting too comfortable. Uh, one of the things we have to look forward to as a desired outcome is this, is that when we're aligned with God, Jesus says that when we take on his ways, that his burden is light, his ways are easy, it says in Matthew chapter 11. But in that comfort, don't let your guard down. Don't let your guard down because the enemy, you could say all the more, is gonna look to take advantage of your comfort. 1 Peter 5.8 says that the enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking to who he will devour, and John 10, 10, he comes for the purpose to steal, kill, and destroy. And so don't get too comfortable in letting your guard down. And then one more thing, real quick, don't be discouraged by setbacks. Don't get derailed by setbacks. Uh, because a setback misinterpreted could leave you saying, see, I knew this stuff doesn't really work or it didn't really take or I guess I didn't do it right or whatever you wanna say. But in the name of Jesus, don't let the enemy steal, kill, and destroy your progress. Uh, you might have, again, this week alone, we're talking, you might have a thousand setbacks. But remember, that's a thousand opportunities to come back to him, to fix your eyes back on Jesus who is, remember, the pioneer, the author, and the perfecter of our faith. Henry Nouwen, he, uh, he paints setbacks this way. I think this is super helpful. He says, setbacks, they can make you feel as if you are right back where you started. But try to think about it instead as being pulled off the road for a while. When you return to the road, you return to the place where you left it, not where you started. Think about that. When you get pulled off the road, you don't have to hit reset and start the game over. You get to get back on the road where you left off. When you return to the road, you return to the place where you left off, not to where you started, and so keep trusting God. Keep returning to the road of freedom. And so as we press on through setbacks and the comfort and the discomfort, moving forward in this journey, you know, maybe for you, whether for the first time or the thousandth time, here's where God comes in. Here's where we now have the choice that as we move forward in our journey beyond just a sermon series, this is the opportunity we have every day for the rest of our life, picking up Isaiah, starting in verse 18. It says this is the truth. Even, remember, Israel's sin, they've rejected God, his protection and his direction. They said, yet, 
The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. For the Lord, he is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait on him, people of Zion, who live in Jerusalem. You will weep no more. And how gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears you, as soon as you turn back to him, maybe a thousandth time, he will answer you. And so when tempted by setbacks, comfort, discomfort, when you're tempted to place your trust, again, maybe in whatever your Egypt's protection was, your own resources, your own smarts, your own denials, your own distractions, over and over, maybe a thousand times, it's a thousand opportunities to cry back out to him, to know how gracious he will be when you cry out for help, that as soon as he hears, he will answer you. Then it goes on in verse 20. It says, although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity, and the water of affliction. Now, whoa, whoa, time out. It's like, wait a second, God gives me adversity and gives me affliction? Listen, there are natural consequences within God's created order that when we disobey his will and ways, that we bring upon ourselves as a result of our sin, of going our own way, of trusting in Egypt rather than God. And, and we know it. I mean, we've experienced, we know what happens when we get caught up in the sin that entangles and hinders us, Hebrews chapter 12. It results in Isaiah 30, 20, adversity and affliction. It's a natural effect. But nevertheless, nevertheless, verse 20 continues, your teachers, they will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them, that whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. And we've been so encouraged as a church to hear the ways that you've been listening to the voice of God through this journey, that you've heard his voice and you've walked in his, what we've called our big T truth. Uh, and with that, we've received some feedback, which it's kind of interesting. It's been some of the strangest feedback we have ever received on anything we've ever done as a church. These are some direct quotes uh, from you all. Uh, young lady the other day, this is wrecking me. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, Others, this is awful and wonderful. Thank you for doing this. Uh, this one was really funny. This, she was almost grumpy about it. She says, you're messing with me, and I don't like it. Keep it up. <laughs> okay, all right. And then just one the other day, you know, after, she said, after 60 years of life, stuff I've never dealt with that I'm being completely set free from. And see, what you're experiencing, what we're experiencing is the joy of what I got to experience 15 years ago sitting on that little square foot of real estate in a little chapel on the corner of this property of this camp. Uh, you know, we talked about life shapers. This was a huge positive life shaper for me. Reading Isaiah 30 over and over as I marked up my Bible, just realizing the truth of the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah that although the Lord had given me the bread of adversity and the water of affliction because my own sin of pride, that nevertheless, my teachers, they were hidden no more. My eyes, I saw them. I, I was surrounded by his big T truth. You know, sometimes we sing that song around here. It feels like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. I'm surrounded by God and his goodness uh, that whether I turn to the right or to the left, my ears heard the voice of him behind me saying, hey, this is the way, walk in it. And, and ever since then, I've made all the mistakes. You know, I've experienced the disappointing, uh, discouraging setbacks, you know, avoiding discomfort and getting all too comfortable. But I know the truth of his grace and his mercy allows me to return 
to him a thousand times that whether I turn to the left or the right, his voice is there directing me, guiding me, saying, this is the way, walk in it. And so as you walk in his way, as you journey forward from this day forward, uh, I want you to know this is where God's been leading us. When we talk about desired outcomes, uh, this is what the word of the Lord says for Israel in a desired outcome that translate for us. Where are we going? What's the destination here? Uh, The prophet Isaiah, the people of God, verse 22. says, here's the destination. He says, you will desecrate your idols. Your little T-truths, you'll, you'll desecrate them. You'll overlay, you've overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. Uh, essentially, he said, you put an inappropriate, misplaced value on your little T-truths, your own way, your own idols. He said, you'll take them, you will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. Pretty graphic, I mean, I didn't make this stuff up. These are not my words. This is in the Bible. And, and the reason this extreme language is because it's an extreme realization. When you realize how repulsive it is to live in your own ways, your own little T-truth is, and you are away with that, but then turn to his will and ways and discover the gift, the destination, the desired outcome that we see in verse 24. He says, then, you will live in a land that will be rich and plentiful. You will, uh, other translations say abundant, an abundant land where streams of water will flow on every high mountain and every lofty hill. The moon, it will shine like the sun and the sunlight will be seven times brighter like the light of seven full days when the Lord binds up the bruises of his people and heals the wounds of the afflicted. And so I wanna conclude our time today. I wanna conclude our series with that abundance, those desired outcomes that you can practically look to expect as you live an aligned heart with God in the days ahead. And again, if you're newer with us, you're like, oh man, I feel like I came in the last 10 minutes of a, of a movie that sounds pretty interesting. Know that you can catch all of this. Uh, firstdecatororg slash above all else. We have messages. We have some homework for you to do. Uh, and, and if you have put the work, or maybe you didn't get to put into this what you wanted to, you can, you can always go back and do it at your own pace. Uh, but for those of you who have put in the work, and this is what you're looking forward to, that as you push through comfort, discomfort, and setbacks, here are the desired outcomes you can expect to live in. Number one, Abundant joy and peace. Abundant joy and peace. We said earlier, John 10, 10, the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But nevertheless, it goes on. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And I just gotta say, I believe him. Like, I believe Jesus that while the fullness of joy and peace will not be realized fully this side of eternity, God's word says that we have a foretaste of it here on earth, that we get to experience his joy, his peace that impacts every other facet of our life. And so in your on your own uh, homework this week, you'll, you'll discover, you'll dig into how do you, uh, as you embrace God's joy and peace, you can then experience the effects of an emotional state of joy and peace. So there's a blessing that comes with that. It, it positively impacts from there that joy and peace, the relationships you have with other people, your relationship with God. It transforms your character and the behaviors that come out of that. Even your physical body can feel the effects of God's joy and peace as you are freed up from you know, stress-induced headaches and muscle tensions, gut problems, maybe even your sleep being disrupted, that all of it, it is the gift, it is the reality of what Philippians 4 says, the peace of God. The peace of God which transcends all understanding, his peace will guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so as we live in his joy and peace, then we can then step into the reality of an abundant character. Abundant character. Galatians 5, through 23 is a well-known passage of scripture called the fruit of the spirit. Uh, and it's the fruit, it's the overflow, it's the result, it's the desired outcome of our character aligned with him. It says it this way, that the fruit of the spirit, it is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which, or, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, that there are these nine attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, to which you might look at that list and start to grade yourself, say, okay, I think I'm doing pretty well in the whole kindness and gentleness part, but maybe, maybe not so great in self-control, you kind of you parcel it out. But as you align your heart fully with his, you'll realize the holistic nature of God's desire for you in his Holy Spirit working in you. That You even catch that, the fruit of the Spirit, it's not plural, you ever catch it? It's singular, it's one, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not designed to be like a buffet of like nine different fruits. Like, oh, let's see, I think today I'd like a little joy and comfort and uh, peace there, but you know, if you just wanna hold the mashed potatoes and the patience and the, and the self-control, that'd, that'd be great. No, 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 Ephesians 4, 4, that there is one Spirit, one Holy Spirit and the fruit of a life fully aligned in him. And so as we begin to have our character aligned with his, to live in that abundance, we will then experience uh, abundant strength, an abundant strength that comes from God at work with us. You know, it's been interesting. We've been reading over and over this passage, learning Hebrews chapter 12, uh, which I don't know if you caught, but it actually starts with an interesting word. It starts with the word, therefore, which makes you think, well, shouldn't there be something before the therefore? Which there is. Uh, it's called chapter 11. And in chapter 11, we have this, uh, it's called the Hall of Fame. It's been known as the Hall of Fame of Faith, where it has uh, the, these, these people who have gone before us, because that's what verse 12 starts out, or excuse me, chapter 12 says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, chapter 11 talks about all those who have gone before us, like Noah and Abraham and Moses and all these uh, faithful examples we have throughout the scriptures. And then it describes the strength that they experience aligned with God. Hebrews chapter 11 says, who through faith, these hearers of the faith who have gone before us, they conquered kingdoms, they administered justice, they gained what was promised, they shut the mouths of lions, that sounds pretty cool, they quenched the fury of the flames, and they escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses were turned to strength, who became powerful and battle and rooted foreign armies. Dr. Byers, again, co-creator of this material, she says that if our faith is not making us emotionally and spiritually strong, well then something in our faith is missing. So we want to dig into the Holy Spirit's strength and power for us that even in our weakness, or especially therefore, his strength is made possible and then from there, out of the overflow of that, you could say, most importantly, that this abundant joy and peace and strength and character, it's not an end in and of itself just for us to hoard. It's not just about us, but just like Abraham, who is in that hall of fame of faith, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, who was blessed to be a blessing. God blessed Abraham and a whole nation of Israel, not just to be blessed, but they are blessed that they might be a blessing to the world. And so then out of the overflow of what God's doing in us, we could then expect to live in an abundant impact. An abundant impact. Jesus would say, you are the light of the world. 
You are the impact of the world. Uh, that a town on a hill, it cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And so in the same way, let your light, let your impact shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, living aligned with God frees you up to have an impact, to be the light of Christ in your own home, in your church, and uh, as you could say, as a representative of Jesus' church to the world that he's called us to. It's where we get to live out those greatest commands. Jesus said the greatest command, uh, one of them is to love others as yourself, to use the impact that God has given us, the gift of who we are in ourselves from his love, to be able to then love others. And then lastly, the other command, first one. Jesus said, number one, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Which means that the desired outcome that we ultimately live for is an alignment with God. Like this, this really is the ultimate goal, an abundant alignment with God. That our ultimate reason that we are on the planet and everything we do ever, ever, ever is to bring glory to God. To worship him and not just in song, but as it says in Romans 12.1, that in view of God's mercy, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, that this is your true and proper worship. See, this is the purpose for which you are on the planet, to pursue a life that's aligned with God, and that when you do that, that is worth, that is worship to him, this is your true and proper worship. The late theologian, great theologian, Dallas Willard, uh, he, he really sums up this alignment with God this way. He says, if your soul is healthy, well then no external circumstance can destroy your life. But if your soul is unhealthy, no external circumstance can redeem your life. You see, everything in your life, it rises and falls on your soul's alignment with the Lord your God. And so as we consider this, may we never forget. May we never forget that our alignment with him, with all our pursuits, and worthy as they have been, don't start with us. It starts with him. First John 4.10 says, it's not because we first loved, but all of this, remember, it's because he first loved you. It's his love for us that we start and end and complete everything with. Moses, one of our heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, I love the way that one commentator expressed his faith, his confidence in the love of God for him and his people when God rescued the, the Israelites from slavery out of Egypt. Uh, the commentator says it this way, that Moses had a word for it, which has never been bettered. Uh, he says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and showed you. This is from Deuteronomy chapter seven. It's not because you were more numerous or anything special, but simply because he loves you. Because the Lord loves you, Deuteronomy 7.7. 7. And so the commentator goes on to say that he loves you because he loves you. And it is no explanation, and yet it is the greatest of all explanations. For it means that though the reason is hidden from us, it is a reason which makes sense to him. And that's all that matters, and that he will never give us up. And so may we just seal our time giving thanks for, yes, the love we get to have for him, but that absolutely starts with the love that he has.
for us. So would you pray with me? Father, we have been running and journeying after your love and your goodness for us. And we are thankful for the way in which you've walked us through that. But even better, even more important, is that you first loved us. That your love, your goodness, has been running after us. And so with that, we give you all thanks and our reason for existence, glory to you, both now and as we sing, and most importantly, as we live lives holy and pleasing, a sacrifice aligned with you. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, who is our strength, despite our weakness. In Jesus' name, we thank you for all of it. Amen.